Well, this may not come as a surprise to you, but Hollywood is not very creative. They're not very original. We've seen, it all, we've seen it all the time. They take a good story and they repackage it and they retell it over and over and over again. Maybe you know this familiar one. A young pauper finds out that they are an heir to a fortune. An orphan finds that she is actually a princess. Or a buffoon learns that he is the king of England. Stories like Annie or the Princess Diaries come to mind. Stories that I have seen over and over again. Stories that my family loves. We can write them ourselves, right? This person is living a dull, boring, painful, lonely, even destitute life. And then there's an aha moment, and they're confronted with this new identity, and, and they understand that they've entered a new reality. And immediately the misadventures begin, right? The pauper is confronted by the power and responsibility that comes with great wealth. The orphan fails to properly live out her new obligations as a princess, and the buffoon tries desperately to go back to his old life. But then, in steps that faithful butler, or that doting maid, who works tirelessly and patiently to help this person understand who they are and how they need to live out their new reality. And after several more near catastrophes, what happens? The person suddenly gains clarity, embraces a new reality, and understands and lives out what is expected of them. And we all know the rest of the story, right? And they all live happily ever after. It's a silly story, I know. And yes, Hollywood is an original, but like most good stories, this story points to the story. It faintly echoes and points us to the most grand and important story there has ever been. And it's the story that the Apostle Paul tells us all in the book of Romans. You see, we were desperate paupers. We were orphans, isolated and alone, separated from each other and separated from our Father. We were buffoons, lost and dead in our foolish pursuit, slaves to our passions and desires. Paul puts it plainly, for all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And because of what Jesus has done on our behalf, in obedience to his Father, we who accept this free gift can now experience what Romans 8 refers to as life in the Spirit. We're in our second week of examining this idea of life in the Spirit in this series, The Greatest Chapter. And we started in verse 1 of chapter 8 with a promise about the life in the Spirit. There is no condemnation. And we've made it so far to verse 11, where we see the power that we have in our life in the Spirit. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. Life in the Spirit offers us the promise of no condemnation and the power to live in a way that pleases God. And now as we turn to our passage today, the Apostle Paul is going to be that faithful butler in our own lives. And he's going to help us see and understand our new identity 
and help us see how we are to act in this new reality and how exactly we should live it out. In short, he's saying, if you are in the Spirit, this is who you are. And if this is who you are, then this is how you should act. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to our text this morning. Romans chapter 8, verses 12 to 17. Romans chapter 8, verses 12 to 17. Hear God's word. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So who are we in the Spirit? How does Paul clarify this new identity? Well, he tells us. He flat out tells us. So if you're someone who underlines, let's see our new identity in Christ. Let's see our new identity as in life in the Spirit. Look at verse 12. We are debtors. We are debtors. But also look at verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. We are debtors. We are sons of God. So what Paul is telling us here in these verses is that if you are in Christ, you have life in the Spirit, you are an indebted child of God. If you are in Christ, you have life in the Spirit, you are an indebted child of God. So what does this mean? How do we live this out? How do we embrace this new reality? Well, the first thing Paul tells us is that we're indebted. Let's unpack what this means. He starts by saying what we're not indebted to. We're obliged not to the flesh. You remember that's the old operating system, the old regime, but we're indebted, indebted to the new regime. You owe nothing to your old self. Think about it this way. Last month in the NFL draft, the Jacksonville Jaguars selected defensive end Trayvon Walker from the University of Georgia is the first pick. Now imagine Trayvon walks into the Jacksonville Jaguar facilities and he says, you know what? I don't like your playbook. I'm going to use mine from Georgia. In fact, I don't like your, uh, your exercise regimen. I'm going to do what I did in high school. That would be foolishness. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be? Who made him an NFL player? The Jacksonville Jaguars. He's obliged. He's indebted to them. He's obliged to do things their way. And how much more should we have been ransomed and rescued from the slavery of sin and death by God himself be obliged to do things his way? Now, this indebtedness isn't something that we do. It's it's something that we feel. It starts with an attitude. Listen to how Ray Ortland, Pastor Ray Ortland, puts it. He says this, If your heart is one with Paul's, You will say with him, I don't owe the flesh anything. The flesh has been the cause of my bitterest miseries. I've served it too long. And and what a price I've paid. 
everything that I have, everything that I have that's encouraging, God has given me through his spirit. I owe him everything. I am a debtor to God. He has given me, even me, his very best. That is what Paul wants us to feel, a sense of indebtedness to God, drawing our hearts out gratefully to him. Our indebtedness means that we are grateful in our hearts, but it also means that there's action. So what does acting on this obligation actually look like? Well, again, Paul tells us, look at verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Again, that means if you live according to the old operating system, you will end in destruction. But notice what else he says. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Paul tells us exactly what this obligation looks like. We live out our obligation to God by putting to death the deeds of the body. Now, John Stott defines deeds of the body as any use of the body which serves ourselves instead of God and other people. Using it for our own sake is the old regime. That's the old operating system. We don't go back to the old playbook. In fact, we throw it away. And that's what putting to death means. What does putting to death mean? It means to first clearly recognize those deeds for what they are, that they're evil, that they're selfish, that they're sinful, and that they're wrong. And then to intentionally fight, to decisively eradicate them from your life, to cut them out, to remove them. We are always to be on the lookout for it, and when we find it, we are to destroy it. You see, entertaining and nurturing sin in our lives is kind of like buying a baby T-Rex as a pet. Someday, you will die. Sin is not something to be played with. It's not something to be winked at or controlled. It wants all of you. Its end is destruction and death. It cannot be domesticated. It must be exterminated. You have to go to war against sin because sin is at war against you. And please hear this. Look at what Paul says. This can only be done by the power of the Holy Spirit. Notice verse 13 again. By the Spirit put to death the deeds of the flesh. We cannot and must not try to do this on our own. Think about it this way. Our life in the Spirit is climbing a mountain. And at some points when we're climbing that mountain, we're going to come up against a, a, a cliff, and we're on a narrow pathway. And you and I, we can spend our time seeing that cliff and spending all of our time trying to avoid that cliff of sin, right? But if that's our MO, if that's the way we are living life in the Spirit, we're missing it, and eventually we will fall. Life in the Spirit means that when we come to that cliff of sin, we don't simply try and avoid it ourselves. We turn to our Father and take His hand and let Him guide us and lead us along the way. That is how we put to death the deeds of the flesh. And remember, the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is alive in you. That is a colossal statement to consider and to grasp. He is the one who puts sin to death. And yes, we do have a part to play. Paul makes that clear in in Philippians 2, 12 to 13, where he says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and work for his good pleasure. 
So being obliged, being indebted means that we do our part to join God the Holy Spirit in his work of eradicating sin in our lives. But make no mistake, he is the one who does the work. So remember who you are. You are indebted, obligated to the Spirit, not the flesh, to put off the old ways, to put to death the deeds of the body. But Paul wants to make sure we understand that that there's so much more to this life in the Spirit than simply putting off our old ways, to putting off the deeds of, of our bodies, to putting off sin. That's just one facet of what we are called to do. We are obligated to fight sin, but it also means that we need to uh, embrace and accept our new identity as children of God. So as we put off our sin and our indebtedness, we put on our identity as children of God. That's what life in the Spirit is. We're putting off our sin and putting on our new identity as children of God. Look at verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit, those who are in the Spirit, of God, are sons of God. Let's pause here and consider the weight of this statement. Remember the first seven chapters of Romans. Paul sets out to show that every human being ever created has been a sinner, that we've fallen short of God's glory, that we've earned the wage of death. And we are dead in our sin, and we are separated from God, who is perfect and holy and righteous and transcendent. But God, but God, in his great love and grace and mercy, saw that we were dead in our sins, and we were enemies of him. He came down, and he made a way for us now to be made the children of God. The Apostle John got it right when he declared, Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called the children of God. Brothers and sisters, behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called the children of God. Is there any greater, more impactful statement in all the Bible? Me, John Bechtel, with all the junk that I have, Because of Jesus, I am a son of God. We miss this. We miss this when we understand the gospel to simply mean being saved from hell. No, we are saved to so much more. We are sons of God. And let me say this, we are sons, both male and female sons, because in the first century, sonship meant that the title, position, and power of the Father belongs to you. We are all sons of God, both men and women, in terms of our identity and privilege before God, when we have life in the Spirit. Now we're going to unpack what this sonship actually looks like. So here I want you to keep your finger in the text And get ready to follow along closely as we start in verse 15. We're going to see the benefits of sonship and what our real identity is in Christ when we are in the Spirit. So look at verse 15. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery. Sonship means we are free from the tyranny of sin. 
Sin does not own you anymore. It has no power over you. In fact, like Paul tells the Ephesians, you are God's workmanship. You're his beautiful new creation. You have actually been created to do good works which he prepared in advance for you to do. You are no slave to sin. You are a son of God. Or you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Sonship means that there's no shame or hiding or need to be afraid. We don't need to fear God's anger. We don't need to live under the weight and guilt of sin. And we don't need to fear what people may do to us. But what have we received? We have received the adoption as sons. The spirit of adoption as sons. So what does adoption mean here? Well, in first century Rome, there's three things about an adopted son that we need to understand. He was deliberately chosen by the father. He was given the name of his father, and with that name came all the rights and privileges accompanied by that name. And he was made a full heir. He was made a full heir of the father. Sonship means that through the spirit of adoption, we've been given new identity and power in the present and hope and security for the future. We have a new identity and power for the present and hope and security for the future. Now, adoption is near and dear to me. In 1969, Sam and Lois adopted me into their home as an infant. And 43 years later, my wife and I adopted Irena Hope into our family. Adoption is a big part of my story. Sam and Lois chose to bring me into their home. They gave me a new name. They gave me a place to belong, what every child needs. They gave of themselves to love me and to provide for me as their son. I am their son fully, legally, and lovingly. My past is marked by their love. I experience their love right now in the present. And my future as their son is secure in their love. Adoption is a beautiful thing. And I want the same exact things for my daughter, Irena. That's my father's heart for her. She's struggling. You can pray for her. Her name is Irena. We gave her the middle name, Hope. I love her just like I love my biological daughters. Adoption is a beautiful thing, and I think it's a big piece that's missing when it comes to our understanding of the gospel in the American church. We're really good at sharing how the gospel makes us right before God. We're really good at sharing what the gospel does when it it saves us. We talk about what it saves us from. But we're not just saved from sin and death. We are saved to be sons and daughters of the king. Adoption is a huge part of what salvation is. Don't miss that. And when we're adopted, what do we get to do? Well, Paul continues, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Sonship grants us special access and intimacy with the Father. This same God of Isaiah 6, where the angels were covering themselves in his holy perfection, where Isaiah was beginning to melt in the presence of God. This same God is the God who we, 
as his sons and daughters can come to. Remember when Jesus died on the cross. The temple veil was rent in two from top to bottom. That place that it separated the Holy of Holies where God's presence was, where people could only enter in once a year if they were ceremonially perfect, has now been made accessible to you and to me because of what Jesus has done. And that access doesn't go away. At any moment, any time, we as the children of God can go to him and say, Dad, help me. The creator of the universe has granted us access and says that we can come to him and say, Dad, help me. That is who you are. And that is the implication you have. That is the implications of what sonship means. But wait, there's more. <laughs> Look at verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Sonship offers us assurance that we are his. Pastor Jeff mentioned Ephesians 1.13 last week, and I think it, it applies here. Listen to Ephesians 1.13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, now listen here, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. To the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit himself seals us and is the guarantee, is the down payment that we are in him now and forever will be. The Spirit himself bears witness and assures us that we are his children. He's doing that right now in our hearts. What a gift. But again, it's a gift that keeps on giving. Look at verse 17. And then if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Sonship means assurance for the future. What's an heir? Well, an heir is a legally binding agreement that the benefits of the father will extend to the child. And that binding agreement never ends. As a child of God, you cannot lose your inheritance. As a child of God, you cannot lose your inheritance. We can rest in that. We can rest in that. And then Paul goes on to, to close this by saying, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified in him. Sonship provides assurance and perspective in the midst of suffering. Now, let's unpack this. Paul's not saying that we must suffer to earn our salvation or, or gain new identity. Our salvation has been earned and our identity is secured in Jesus. We know that. That's a done deal. But Paul is saying that it's part of the identity of a as a child of God to suffer. We should expect it and not fear it when we experience it. After all, we're fellow heirs with Jesus himself, the ultimate suffering servant. Why would we expect anything less? So don't fear suffering. It's an ordinary and expected part of life when we're living life in the Spirit as indebted children of God.
But look what else we get. The Spirit himself will see you through. And it ends with what? Yes, we will suffer. But sonship ends in glory. One day, it will be the way it's supposed to be. Revelation 21 paints this beautiful picture when God himself, in a point of history, is going to say now, the dwelling place of man is with God. They will be my people, and I will be their God. And there'll be no more crying, nor tears, nor suffering. For the old things, the old things, those things that we're trying to put off by the power of the Spirit, will all have passed away. And it will be the way it's supposed to be. Glory. Never forget the benefits of sonship. Ladies and gentlemen, never forget the benefits of sonship to the king. So what does sonship offer us to summarize? As God's adopted children, we are freed from the power of sin. We're freed from fear. We have the power to make it through today, and we have hope for the future. We've been granted free access and special intimacy to our Father, who is God himself. And we have the gift of the Holy Spirit, always assuring us that we are his today, and that we will always be his. We have perspective to see us through suffering, and we have hope in a glorious glorious future that is the summation of our new identity in in christ that is the summation of us as children of god this is who we are in the new life in the spirit this is a new identity that paul is offering us to embrace to put on and to live out That's what Paul is telling the Romans, and that's what Paul is telling us all today. If you are in the Spirit, you're an indebted child of God. Act like it. Rejoice in the Spirit that there's no longer any condemnation. Remember that the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in you and empowering you. Embrace your obligation to join the Spirit in helping you to become like Jesus. Lean into an intentional, ongoing, Spirit-empowered fight against sin and put off the deeds of the body. Embrace and put on the reality of your Spirit-empowered new identity as a child of God. That is Paul's call to you and to me today. So let me close by talking to two people, two groups of people. First, there may be some of you who have never experienced being adopted as a child of God. I want to tell you that God made this spiritual adoption possible for you through faith in his son, Jesus, who lived a life that we could not live and paid a debt that we could not pay. By taking our place on the cross and dying and being raised again in power, he now offers us a free gift of salvation. All you need to do is believe. And you receive the spirit of adoption when you accept this free gift by faith through the grace that has been offered to you through Jesus. And you too can enter in 
to life in the Spirit and become a child of God. If that's you, come to Jesus. If you need help thinking it through, talking it through, come talk to me. Talk to the person next to you. It's the greatest, most important decision you can make. Now what about for the rest of us? Group number two. Those of us who are in Christ, who are currently living life in the Spirit. What do we do with this? Well, I want to end with two questions for us to consider. The first question is, where do you need to join the Spirit in putting to death the deeds of the body? Where do you need to join the Spirit in putting to death the deeds of the body? Where do you need to turn from sin? Where do you need to destroy the T-Rex? You need to do it today. And if you can't do it alone, find somebody. Do it today. Question number two. Where do you need to embrace your identity as a child of God? Where do you need to embrace your identity as a child of God? You need to live in freedom from sin. Do you really need to do that? You need to be free from fear. Do you need to run to your father? Have you been trying to do it on your own? Do you need assurance that you are his? Do you need perspective in the midst of whatever you may be suffering? Maybe do you need hope? Hope for the future. All of those things are available in our identity as the children of God. Put on and fully embrace your identity as his child. Do that today. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this greatest chapter, quote unquote. We thank you for life in the spirit. We thank you for the privilege of being able to join your spirit in putting off the sin in our lives that you so desperately want us to be rid of for our good and for your glory. Lord, thank you that you have made us your sons and daughters and that you have given us power for today and hope for tomorrow. Help us to live out these truths in our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.